Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. So uh, this morning, I got up really early and um, I wanted to uh, go shop for t-shirts because, I don't know if you guys all know this, but I really love t-shirts. But I don't just like any t-shirt. I don't really like supporting certain common ones and common brands and brand names and things like that. Maybe once in a while, not really. Um, So I got up real early this morning and I went to Walmart about, (laughs) I think it was like seven, seven o'clock in the morning. And also I want to get a couple things for breakfast. On Sundays, I try to have breakfast with my family, even if I'm coming to speak, um, because it's like a whole day and I don't know, I just don't want to miss out on that. During the week, we don't really get a chance to eat breakfast together um, that often. So I go to Walmart and I start looking for t-shirts and I can't find anything like anything. But I thought it was a little um, hilarious and aggravating and so I'm going to share a couple of t-shirts that are that were there that I could have purchased but one of them was uh, a picture of a husband and a wife and it says game over I, can, I don't know if you can see you can't see it obviously it's a small phone but it's 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 a man and a woman and, and it says game over I mean that they just got married right so um, here's another one it says breaking news I don't care I mean I'm like the world's already negative enough. Like, I don't understand this, right? Um, I'm allergic to stupidity. I break out into sarcasm. <laughs> like, for me, I can't wear something like that. Like, people have a sense of humor, and they can wear something like that, but I just can't for some reason. It's just weird. Uh, rule number one, I'm always right. See the back for rule number two. Rule number two, see the front. <laughs> now, I thought of wearing that one, but... Oh, shoot, now you're really going to think bad of me. Um, No, you're right. Let's do it the dumbest way possible because it's easier for you. I mean, give me a break. Of course, your opinion matters, just not to me. Now, the reason why I did this also this morning is because I'm so serious when I teach, so I'm trying to be a little lighter. (laughs) I'm serious, right? I'm going to get serious in a minute here. You guys already know that, so you know it's coming. Uh, Here's one. Y'all need Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that's a good one, Jesus, but y'all need Jesus? Give me a break, you know? (laughs) Uh, Here's another one. Please cancel my subscription to your issues. Now, that actually goes a little bit with what we're going to talk about today. It's called differentiation. Um, A a part of it, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But it's not that rude, like, you know. It's not like we don't have issues also, but it's it's interesting for for being separate. So I thought that would make you laugh a little bit, and we'd have a little fun before we start. So anyways, all right, let's pray. Father, just thank you for... um, being here this morning and to be able to join with with my family and um, to walk alongside each other and and to be able to hopefully gaze on your love and your beauty and and I pray God that you would just help us to understand what it is to know ourselves that we may know you 
and um, that you would fight even now uh, on our behalf to, to just be able to see, to hear, and to understand and not be confused and to just grow just a little bit, God. This is a long journey. This is something that's not going to be exhausted in this one morning. And allow us to sit back, relax in your love that has us, and to know that whatever feelings, whatever thoughts, whatever we're going to go through this morning, that we're still okay because you died and you rose and we're, gonna, we're with you right now in heaven. We're kept by time, but you're, we're there already with you. And, and it's already uh, in the bag, and we don't need to, to worry about it. So I just pray for that. And uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the title of our topic today is Know Yourself That You May Know God. And before I get into that, um, this is a daily, um, a day-by-day is what it's called. And it's uh, maybe about seven minutes each one. And there's two per day. You can pick any time of the day, twice a day. Um, if you want to do one, once a day, that's fine. But it starts off with two minutes of silence, you know, clearing your mind, focusing on Jesus. And then just a little bit of scripture, a small devotion, and a small prayer, literally seven minutes. But if one thing I want to keep bringing to you, and probably every week I'll be sharing this, is this is like the heart of discipleship right here, is to stop and to be with Jesus. So if you don't have one of these, or maybe you have another devotional or whatever, I'll even talk in the sermon a little bit about what it means to stop again, but that's, that's crucial. That's crucial. Um, and it's, it's what it's all about. I mean, if we're not here today as a church to want to actually be and spend time with Jesus to connect to him, um, then we're missing him, right? We're, we're, we're here for some other reason. And, and, and it's okay. Sometimes that's how we start. We started intellectually knowing about God, hearing things about God, uh, theology, you know, it's the right thing to do. And God will take that. God will take that. But he doesn't want you to miss him in all of it. So please, if, if you started this discipleship course with us, if you, even if you, you're not going on Wednesday nights because you can or whatever, please, please, Follow along on the day by day. There's week one, week two, week three, all the way to eight weeks. And they go along with the chapters and the themes. It's know yourself that you may know God is week two. And, uh, and just, just stop and, and um, allow yourself to be with Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing. It's the most beautiful gift that you could ever receive is Jesus. So, all right. Um, our topic. Now, Augustine in AD 400 said... How can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? How can you draw close to God when you're far from yourself? And it's going to be really hard. The self part is what's going to be very confusing. Even though we think we got it all figured out, even though we think we know everything, the self part is what's, what's confusing. But how can you draw close to God when you're far from yourself? For all the the reformers in the room and, and theologians, John Calvin said, our wisdom consists of almost entirely two parts. The knowledge of God and ourselves. Two parts of wisdom. Our knowledge of God and ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Knowing God, knowing ourselves. The very first thing that we want to look at is our identity. Who are we, right? What is our identity? 
In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, and I believe they'll put the scripture up here, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Who are we? What is our identity? Right here we can see that the God the Father says over his Son Jesus who he is. He's my Son, and, he, and I am well pleased with him. And God says the same thing when he looks over you, and he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. I just don't love you, but I also like you. This is what Jesus' identity um, was given to him. This is where he rested in. Now, there's four things that, uh, I'm sorry, three things that tempt, three temptations that come against our identity, or want to confuse our identity, or wrap up our identity. You know, as, as, as you grow from a, a child to an adolescent and teenage years, we're always wanting to know, who are we? And then I thought it would stop at teenage years. It happens when you're, you know, early 20s and in your 30s and then your 40s. And, you know, maybe by the time, you know, we uh, see Jesus face to face, we'll know. So if you're not too sure, don't feel too bad. Um, I'm still trying to figure that one out. So Matthew 4, verse 3, um, first temptation is, I am what I do. It's performance. I am what I do. Matthew 4, 3 says, And the tempter came, and this is Satan, Satan, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now at this point, Jesus was a nobody. Jesus had not made it to the news he had never done anything for anyone particularly that brought him much fame. The only people that would have known him was his, his, his family, but nobody in the community really or nobody at large. He had never done any miracles. He had not taught. Well, once when he was a kid he taught at 12, but that was it. So really not much out there. And right away the enemy says, you know, if you're the son of God, I mean, if you're, you know, this big old, you know, son of God, again, his identity, command these stones to become loaves. In other words, prove it. Do something about it. Do something in order for you to know, to know that you are who you are. So I am what I do, performance. I am what I do. In our lives as we grow up, there are times that we may be gifted as something, right? Maybe a music talent, maybe a, a sport talent, um, Maybe in our home it was academics and we became good at study habits, uh, maybe naturally gifted um, when it comes to intellect and we're able to achieve you know, high grades, maybe perfect grades, maybe grades that were exceeding the average. And that was encouraged and that was praised and that was uh, applauded. That's how we received attention. Maybe in sports it was because we were especially gifted in one type of sport or the other uh, again, maybe a music and you sang well or you performed well. Um, sometimes it was physical appearance. You know, physical appearance brought attention from family or people around you, right? Um, maybe it was your personality, the way you made everyone laugh or, or, or your smile. And, and that was, was always encouraging. That was what always brought you who you were. And I know that that's what happens to us and we have a society that is about performance about performing and exceeding in performance 
But my question to you today is, if you are no longer able to do whatever it is, or you're able to be this certain way, if you lost your ability to, let's say, work in that field because of a physical ailment, if you lost your ability to sing, if you lost your ability to play, if you lost your ability to maybe even talk, if, you, if you're no longer able to do what? Fill in the blanks. Take a moment to think about that. If I was no longer able to, it would destroy my life, or I would be lost. See, there's nothing wrong with performance. Performance in itself is not a bad thing. It's when our identity is caught up in our performance. The next temptation was, I am what I have. Again, in 4 verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So Satan took Jesus, took him to the high places and said, Look, look at the kingdoms. And he said to him, all these I will give if you will fall down and worship me. I am what I have, my possessions, my possessions. All of us go through that as we're growing up, right? Got to have a house, got to have a car, right? Got to have furniture, got to have all these things, right? And it's not so much even just a house. Sometimes it's a ho- certain type of house in a certain type of neighborhood, Maybe it's a certain type of car, right? Certain type of clothing. Maybe for a certain type of status, right? Or maybe having so much of something, so much of finances or so much of land or so much of whatever possessions. Sometimes that comes out of not having anything and finally you got something so you keep it and you get more of it and you don't share it or you don't give it up. Or maybe it would be really hard. Again, the question to you or to myself would be, if I no longer had whatever it is, fill in the blanks, I would feel like I lost everything. It would really affect who I am because my identity is caught up in my possessions. What is it that you have that you couldn't let go of right now? What is it that you own that you could not give up if you had it, had to. What is it that you have that if you lost it, it would mean everything to you? The third one is, I am what others think of me. Popularity. I am what people think of me. What do people think about you? Right? What do they think about you? Maybe, maybe you're the one that never has a conflict. Maybe you're the one that makes everybody feel comfortable, right? Maybe you, you have these possessions. Maybe you have these talents and gifts, and you perform in this way so you could be accepted, that you could be wanted by your friends. What if your friends were to know the real you? Whatever that is. Right? What if, what if you were no longer going to go along with what they said or what they did? What if you really told them what you liked and what you didn't like? What if you could no longer keep up with whatever it is that you're keeping up with to be able to feel accepted by your mom and your dad? Right? By your sister and your brother? You know, as I was brought up, it was always about you have to go to school, 
and you've got to get a college education and you've got to get a good job. That was very, very, that was drilled into me over and over and over again. And I remember when uh, I really felt a strong calling to help more in ministry and my job that I had currently was I was being promoted over and over again. So I decided not to finish schooling. I went through one year of trade school, but, and it was to be a, a technician to work on cars, but I got promoted to management, and I just kept getting promoted. And I remember my dad telling me, like, basically, you're a failure because you didn't go to school. Um, and that's still ingrained into me to this day. They, they talk to my kids. My mom and dad talk to my kids, say, you've got to go to school. And it's not a bad thing to go to school. It's an awesome thing to go to school. I'm telling my kids to go to school. But sometimes it's our, again, being accepted if I got a degree or maybe a certain degree in a certain area versus another one that you would really like to get in order for you to be accepted. Maybe in order for you to get certain things or have this certain acceptance. Some people are totally against, you know, uh, getting a job just to make money. They, they're really on, you got to get a job to be able to help people. Neither one is bad. They're both a ministry. Every job, every work, every business Every nonprofit, every government uh, job is a service, is a worship, right? We came down these streets and the street lights were working because there's someone that's in charge of the street lights, right? Someone worked hard to lay the, the electrical lines and making sure the electrical power plants are running right, so we have lights. There's a cell phone because someone designed it and made it and keep making new ones and make us want to buy other ones, Right? All that's from God. There's nothing wrong with that. But if people said this about me, I would not feel accepted. Fill in the blank. If people said this, if I was not accepted by, I would be destroyed. I'd feel not accepted. John 6 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back. So we find Jesus, he just performs a miracle by feeding thousands of people with fish and bread and he goes in to tell the Pharisees and the people that were there that they need to basically believe in him, right? Accept him. Accept his body being given up for them and that they must eat of his body and drink of his flesh. And they thought it was talking about cannibalism when he was really talking about what the scriptures had said. The Lamb of God that will be slayed, right? For the sins of the world. They missed it. Even though they knew the scriptures, they missed him. And Jesus said to men, and so many started leaving. People started leaving. And the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the only, the Holy One of God. So Jesus also went through this as well. When it came to his family, there was a time that he, they thought he was possessed, his own mom and, 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 and brothers and sisters. When it came to his hometown and he told them who he was, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. When it came to his friends, the disciples, the twelve, he disappointed them over and over again. When it came to the crowd that wanted him to, to take over the Roman government and to provide for them food and, and to make this easy life on this earth, he disappointed them and they walked away. When it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hated him because he kept reminding them 
of the truce of love. And so what happens is we find Jesus being true to who he is in his identity in what his father says. He says, I never do anything of my own accord, but whatever my father tells me. He was so secure. There are times that people would ask him questions and he wouldn't say anything at all. He didn't need to speak. He didn't need to respond. He was okay with their disappointment in him not responding to them. He was okay in him saying no and saying yes. He was okay in asking for help. Right? He was okay in helping others. He was okay in saying he was disappointed. He was okay in crying. Right? Shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. He was okay in, in, in not fulfilling what they expected from him. His popularity. Now, one of the ways that we begin to know ourselves, because that's what this topic is about, how do you know yourself that you may know God? Well, it depends on our identity. If it's all caught up in that, it's hard to know ourselves. But one of the things is differentiation. Now, this word is by Murray Brown, uh, Murray Bowen, I'm sorry, and it refers to a person's capacity to define his or her own life's goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. And that's what I just explained with Jesus. What are your goals? What are your values? Who are you, right? Outside the pressures around them. The ability to hold on to who you are and who you are not. One of the words that he uses here is separateness. The ability to affirm your distinct values and goals apart from the pressures around you, that's separateness. While remaining close to people important to you, that's togetherness, helps determine your level of differentiation. So let me explain that. You're around people, and you're going to go do something. And they say, do you like this? And everybody likes it. And you say, no, I don't like that. But you still stick with them. Obviously, if it's not something that's not right, you shouldn't be doing, but you know, you might say, no, I just can't do that. But anyways, it's just something about a like. It's not a wrong or right thing, right? That's being separate, but still being together. Now, it sounds simple. Oh yeah, that, I do that all the time. It's easy. But what I want you to know is that there's so many reasons why we have a hard time with this. The reasons why we have a hard time with this is because sometimes it goes back to our upbringing. For example, when mom came home, everybody in the family knew something was wrong with mom, right? Mom's mad today. Mom's mad. Mom had a hard day. I mean, you're only two years old. Mom had a hard day. You know, you're only three years old. Mom had a hard day. You know, you're only seven years old. Mom had a hard day. What did that mean? You got to be quiet. You got to turn down the, turn down the TV. You got to bring her slippers. You got to watch what you say. We got to make some tea. Dad's cooking now, you know, once in his life, you know. It changed the whole environment, right? Moms put their problems on their children. There was no differentiation there. There was no separateness there. That was mom's problem. That was mom's hurt. That was mom's issue. They projected what they were going through onto the children, onto us. Most likely dad enabled this and even encouraged this. It usually depended on something you need to do or you need to stop doing, right? You need to start doing these things or stop doing those things. So that way mom could feel better. 
Maybe it was dad, and he was going through the something, and you all had to tiptoe, right? Dad's mad, dad's mad, oh, alert, dad's mad, dad's mad, right? I'll just take this home a little bit. When my dad came home, sometimes he would come home drunk, and my whole world would stop. And I would see the fear on my mom's face, and I would see her look like, we got this, right? We got this. Like, you're going to help me out here. And I must have been around five to seven years old, six years old. And basically, she expected me to do everything I could to keep my dad calm so he would not end up wanting to hit my mom or leaving the house to go to a bar or somewhere and cause a fight. You know what this told me is, as a child, this told me that, this, that it was his problem, but it became my problem, right? That my mom's problem, because my dad's drinking, was my problem also. So I was also helping her and helping my dad. So for me to know who I am, how in the world could I know who I am and know myself how could I? I'm supposed to be cared for. I'm supposed to be loved. I'm supposed to be secure in who I am. Right? It even gets worse. The next morning comes around, which I loved mornings. I always loved mornings. Saturday mornings were my favorite. It's quiet, right? I know Dad wasn't drinking, and It's just like the best day ever. Uh, cartoons were on. Why were the mornings so good? Usually my mom and dad were talking in bed, um, and they were usually talking about what happened, and the tone was wonderful. My dad was apologetic to my mom and, and all this. And then my dad, and this is where it gets worse, my dad would come over, and, and believe me, when I was studying Know Yourself to Know God, it really hit me hard because like, I had to really look at some things in my life that maybe I don't want to look at. And that's the fear that we have in this. This is dealing, dealing with beneath the surface. This isn't dealing with surface stuff. This is dealing beneath the surface because why? If, 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 it, if we're not in reality, then we're not in truth. And God only deals with what's true. He only makes changes with truth. A lie never brings us any kind of transformation and change. And so I had to look at this, and I didn't realize this until I thought about it just last night, is that my dad would come to me and he would say he was sorry. He would usually cry. And I want you to know when my dad cried, it was the worst pain probably that I would ever have in my life. I can go through anything, but when my dad cried, I felt the pain of what my dad felt. I felt so bad that he felt so bad for hurting me. That's, it's good to have compassion, and I think that's what God used. Like, like God used the bad, right? He uses the wrong and the hurts for the good. It makes me a very compassionate person, it makes me a sensitive person. Uh, it makes me a person that does feel a lot. Like I'm the one that sees a commercial and I can cry. You know, it's just the way it is. And, um, and that's not a bad thing. But in this situation, it wasn't good. See, because my dad was sorry. And I had to feel that again now after last night. I'd feel the pain that he would go through. I mean, it sounds good that he's apologizing, but the problem is that instead of apologizing and crying, 
he should have apologized and asked me how it made me feel. Right? Him apologizing about me, it's not about him. And how that it was not normal to feel what I was feeling, which I felt scared that night before. I should never have to feel scared with my parents, especially with my own father. That it wasn't okay for dads to scare their children, and that the children are not supposed to take care of parents, and it's the other way around. He should have said how he was going to take responsibility for it and get help. He should have said that if this were to happen again, to call so-and-so and have them pick me up and my mom up and let him deal with his own drunkenness so that way I could feel safe again. That's what, I, that's what should have happened. So guess what? You get even lost even more. Like, who am I? What is my life about when I'm caring for my parents and their problems and their struggles become my struggles and my problems? Parents, I'm not saying that when you come home, you, can put, you put on a mask. But what I'm saying is, is that whatever you're going through should not be projected onto your children. You can let them know you're not feeling well and that you're going through something and that you might need some time alone in your room, right? You might, you might need to let them know, I'm going to leave for a while or I'm going to talk to so-and-so or I might not seem like myself. I'm not feeling good. It's good for kids to know that we're not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be happy. But they shouldn't, you shouldn't project it on them. Later when you're feeling better, you may want to share a little bit about what's going on and what you went through and how you processed it so they can learn. But again, if it's not with the intention of putting it on them, even after. Here's another example. How about when parents are not present and you don't have anyone to show you that you matter? When present, parents are not present or whoever's taking care of you is not present, they can't tell you, hey, you know, that's not good. That is good. You did good at that. No, you didn't do good at that right? That hurt. That was nice. That wasn't nice. So you don't know. So you do all kinds of stuff. And usually the person in the room that does, that's uh, got away with never really been told or disciplined, they hurt others and they don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't know what feels good or feels bad because no one's ever told them. No one's ever affirmed anything in their life. So as a person, it's hard to know when you're left alone a lot. You're neglected. There's no feedback, no sense of decisions. How do you, what is to, you know, what, am I making good decisions or bad decisions? No giving of, of, of praise, no rewarding obedience in good decisions. It even gets worse when it comes to physical and sexual abuse. You know, abuse comes usually through a related person that was supposed to love you and take care of you, and physic, uh, physically or sexual abuse, and then it comes in and guess what? I'm supposed to be like loved and howled and touched in the right way when I was now touched in the wrong way, whether it's physical abuse or sexual. You lose yourself. Like, what the heck? What do I do next? How do I respond next time? Is others going to do that? Do others do that? I mean, there's a lot when it comes to that. That really crushes our identity. We begin to go into survival mode in many times. And we respond in different ways. And, and what's sad is you just don't respond to that person. We respond to all of life out of that. And that's why God wants to come in and deal with whatever's underneath and deal with those real deep down of who you are and what happened in order for him to heal that so you don't have to respond that way anymore. 
I feel like when we were born, as soon as we exited the womb, we were targeted by the enemy to become anything else other than what God had fashioned us to be. See, it was God's idea that you would exist. It was God's idea that you would be born. It was God's idea that he would put you on this earth. Psalms 139, 13-14 says, For you were formed, you, for you formed my inward parts. God just didn't form the physical you, but he, form, uh, he, form, he formed your inner parts. The likes, the dislikes, your desires, your dreams, your personality, your temperament. He made you that way. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say wonderfully. Say, I'm wonderful. You have a hard time doing that. Y'all laughing. What's up with that? You left me hanging out on there. Don't ever tell what God says wonderful, not wonderful. This is power of positivity, man. This is the truth. And I'll tell you more than not, you're going to have to accept the gift of you that God made you. Because if you don't accept it, nobody else is. And it's good enough. What God calls good is good. See, we are fighting a lie in this society that tells us we are not fearfully and wonderfully made, that we have to perform, we have to possess, right? We have to be popular. We have to conform to everything around us. It it depends on, on all these exteriors. That's a lie. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who is this? This is the Psalms of David. This is David speaking out of his heart. If you want to speak about an emotional, healthy person or know about someone, just read the book of Psalms. And this isn't the book of Psalms that David wrote. This is the very words that come out of God's mouth that David penned for you and me. So God is saying, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am, I am. David saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Why do we look down at that? Because we've gotten a cold Christianity that says, no, it's about right and it's about wrong. It's about truth and it's about false. It doesn't matter, and you're nobody in this. You are only whatever truth says or whatever someone else says. But what God says about you, I mean, what you, uh, you being wonderfully and, and, and beautifully made has nothing to do with this, right? People tell us that all, all the time, whether they know Christ or not. You're nobody. You're a failure. You're a nothing. But what is God saying? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's why God wants you to get to know who you are. What is this wonder that God has made? What is this wonderful that God has made? What is this wonderful that God has made? He goes on to say, my soul knows it very well. David is saying, I know that down deep inside of me, it it knows that I'm wonderfully made because I have a wonderful God. You're made from God. You're made in the image of God. When you say that you're not wonderful, when you say that you're no good, when you say that your life and your identity depends on something or someone else, you're saying that God's life and God's identity depends on someone or something else and that God isn't wonderful because you're made in His image. 
Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a way that he should go. Why he should go? Because God formed him. Because God has him in a path. Her, him or her. It's, it doesn't matter, male or female. The way they should go. What do they make your child like? Parents, myself, we st- we're so tempted to say this is the best way that we see what's best for you. But this may not be the way that God wants them to be. Knowing your personality. So one way to get to know is knowing your personality, your temperament, your likes, your dislikes, your thoughts, your feelings. They contribute to this discovery. So what are your likes? Take a moment to think about that. Take the rest of your life to think about that, but for this moment, what are your likes? I mean, that's crazy, right? You think you're going to come to church today and someone say, what are your likes? What do you like? It makes us even feel uncomfortable to think about. I actually get to like something. I actually get to say what I like and maybe pursue it. If it's contrary to God's word, then you bring that up, and why is it contrary to God's word, and God will help you work through that. But if it's not contrary to God's word, it's most likely God. Because everything that you like, he put that in you to like it. What do you dislike? He made you to dislike things that other people like. It's not a matter of a right or wrong. Again, according to God's word, as long as they're not against word, God wants us to dislike the things he dislikes. That's another thing. If we don't dislike the things that God dislikes, we're going against our humanity. Humanity is made in the image of God. That's what it means to be fully human. Fully human doesn't mean like when you say, oh, I'm only a human, meaning I'm just going to do wrong. We're not made to do wrong. Did you know that if it was God's, uh, it, it is God's uh, original plan and intention that we would never do wrong, but we use that, oh, I'm only human. No, it's not human to sin. That's sin. That's brokenness. That's death. That's the opposite of what God made us to do. That doesn't mean that God hates you because you sin or that you're done because you sin. No, he loves you, right? No matter what. He forgives you. He died for your sin, but we're not made to sin. So there are things that we should dislike that God dislikes, but there's going to be things you dislike. It has nothing to do whether God dislikes it or not. What do you dislike? What are your dreams? What are your dreams? What are your dreams, church? What are your dreams? What do you dream about? What are you passionate about? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? Some of those dreams are not against God's word, and God wants you to follow what he's put in your heart. Now, don't give me a bunch of phone calls. Oh, God, my, 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 my husband left. He went to go climb, my, uh, climb Mount Everest. He's not coming back. What did you do? Please don't go do that. You know, you want to consult those around you. We'll get to that in a minute. And, you know, but it's okay to dream, man. I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Now you're probably not going to dream at all. So anyways, preacher's messing it up already. But what are your dreams? What are your, what are your desires? What are your desires? What do you value? What's important to you? There's certain things that are important to you. Four ways to get to know who God made you to be. Four ways. So here's some ways to start 
dealing with what we just asked. Pay attention to, know, to your interior in silence and solitude. Take time to review and maybe journal about what happened between this morning and lunch. Or maybe between lunch and then you go to sleep. At the very minimal, the next morning, the day before. Whatever. Whatever works for you. But take time. You know, just jot it down. Look for the patterns there. Here's some of the questions you can ask. When did I feel more alive? This is like, this comes from the prayer of examine. I'm not going to quote it exactly because I did my own thing. What made, what made you feel alive? What, 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 what made you, when did you feel the presence of God during that day? What were the things? Just re- replay it as a DVD. You're just going back, right? Or, or a video, YouTube. YouTube, right? Of the day. What, during the day, when did I feel alive? When did you feel life draining from you? Right? When, when did you feel like, ah, oh, you like, ah, oh, I didn't feel good. Like, ah, oh, that was horrible. Ah, oh, I felt uncomfortable. Oh, I had anxiousness. Like, oh, man. Oh, I got angry. I blew it, you know. Was there joy? Was there happiness? Was there comfort? Was there encouragement? Jot those things down. When was there anger? When was there fear? When was there frustration? And, and just figure out what, what was going on there. And why do you do that daily? Why begin to do that daily? Because you're going to begin to see the patterns. You're going to be able to hear some things and see some things in there. God's going to speak through those things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember when that, that person walks into work every single time. I, I, I cringe a little uh, because I know they're going to ask me that same question and I don't want to answer it for the 50th time and I really need to tell them that. Uh, or or I, I hate them. I hate them. I don't like them. I, don't, I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. Why do I hate them? Why do I not like them? What? Okay, I know it's because of the way they are. What does the word, word say? God, what are you telling me? What are you speaking to me? Do I, I need to forgive? Do I need to confront? Right? Do I need to love my enemy? Do I need to actually even differentiate myself? Meaning, that's their comment, not my comment. That's his question he's going to ask or her question. And I don't need it to let it affect me anymore. Because that's not me. And I'm not involved in that. That's just what they do. They're going to do it every day. That's what they do. So let me separate myself, but yet still say hi, right? But I don't have to be affected by that anymore. See, why do we need to feel, uh, uh, why do we need to pay attention to the interior? We're going to do it in silence and solitude. One, because God feels. How do I know God feels? Um, Genesis 125, God said, very good. Deeply troubled, Genesis 6, 6. Jealous God, Exodus 25. I cry out, I gasp, and I pant, Isaiah 42, 14. I have drawn you, uh, drawn you with kindness. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3. My heart has changed with me. All my compassion is aroused, Hosea 11, 8. Sorrowful and troubled, 26, Matthew 26, 37 through 38. Full of joy, the Holy Spirit, Luke 10, 21. Because God feels, and you're made in the image of God. And when you look at the interior, by stopping and looking on the inside, you're going to get to know who you are. You're going to get to see God work in you. 
by slowing down. Now, slowing down is, is going to be the hardest thing. To some of you, it might be going from a 70-hour work, work week to maybe a 60 or a 50 to a 40. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, putting the kids to bed a little bit earlier, half an hour earlier. Maybe it's going to bed yourself an hour or half an hour earlier so you can get up half an hour earlier. I don't know. Maybe it's saying no to something that isn't important. Examine what's real important to you in life. Because we don't want to miss God in all this, right? Maybe one less activity. So that way you can have an activity with God, right? Maybe even one less God activity. Maybe you're, you're doing something for God every day, all the time. The second way to know God is find trusted companions. Find trusted companions. The possibility of self-deception is so great that without mature companions, we can easily fall into the trap of living in illusion. So find some trusted companions. Who is it around you that are showing fruits of maturity, right? They don't need you, they want you, right? People that need you usually isn't maturity. They're able to tell you the truth and not like shun you for a week, right? They're able to tell you, right? Um, and it's going to be few. It's really going to be maybe one or two. Maybe if you're lucky, three. Talk to them. Show me my shadow. Because self-deception is very, very, very big. Um, Jesus was a trusted companion, right? He told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. He told the rich young ruler, man, if you sell everything and give it to the poor. He told the woman at the well, yeah, I know you're, you're not with anybody. You're, I mean, you're not married. You're, you're with this guy and you had five husbands. He told the Pharisees, man, you're whitewashed tombs on the outside, but dead man's bones on the inside. Jesus was a very, very trusted companion. He would tell you the truth. The third one is move out of your comfort zone. It will be very, very hard when you start this. When you start looking at the inside, when you start dealing with what happened that day, when you start realizing, I need to get some feedback from others, it's going to be hard, and you're going to need to move out of your comfort zone. Example, to some, giving or receiving compliments feels wrong. It's just, you didn't, weren't brought up that way, right? It's never been part of you. To some, being in the presence of an angry people, they have an allergic reaction like that t-shirt, right? Allergic reaction. To some of you entering conflict, to someone having to how, ask for help feels like complete failure. I'm big on that. Like, it's hard for me to ask for help. To some having to disagree with a friend, it'll send you into insomnia all night. You're going to have to enter. This is going to be hard. It's going to be one of the hardest things that you're going to go through. But God's presence is with you in that. Number four, pray for courage. There will be a reaction by those close to us. There will always be a reaction by those close to us. Usually, there's four stages in this reaction. The first reaction is usually, you're wrong for changing, and here's the reasons why. So they're going to want to reason with you. You're wrong for changing. As you begin to change, as you begin to to be transformed into the image of God. You might not people please. That's going to make some people upset, right? You might have to confront something. That's not going to be nice, right? You might have to ask for help when you're the one always helping. 
people aren't going to like that. You might start to say no. That's one of the most powerful words is no. And you do it in a loving way, like no, not just how I just did it, but do it in a loving way. Such a bad example up here. Uh, step two, stage two is change back and we will accept you again. Right? If you start doing what we want you to do like you used to do, you'll be part of us again. That's how you know you don't have friends, just so you know. Stage three, if you don't change back, there are consequences. Then they start to list them out. Be willing to tolerate the discomfort necessary for necessary growth. Be willing to, to tolerate that. Pray for the Holy Spirit's power to continue. Jesus prayed for himself and he prayed for us. In Luke twenty two thirty two. 32, he says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and that when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for you already, and he prays for you saying that your faith will not fail. So if Jesus took the time to pray, you're going to be okay. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Zusa said, When we die, God will not ask us why we are not like Moses. He will ask us, he will ask me, why are you not like Zusa, right? He'll ask Zusa, why are you not like Zusa? He'll ask Matt, why are you not like Matt? Jane, why are you not like Jane, you know? Tanya, why are you not like Tanya? Rodney, why are you not like Rodney? Am I living faithful to the life God has asked me to live? Jesus always was always pressured to live up to the expectations from those that were around him. And last and most important is God's love. Resting and soaking and depending upon it. Before I go there, we find in um, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to turn there, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to really read the scriptures verbatim. But we find, we find a battle going on between the giant, right, and the, Philistine, the Philistines and Israel. And we find David's brothers there and, and the army, and they're afraid of him, and nobody wants to fight him. And, and David comes along, and Saul the king tells him, put on this armor, put on this shield, put on this sword. And the brothers are like, go back to the sheep. Go back to shepherding. I mean, what are you doing here? You're just a kid. You know, you're causing trouble. You just want to see how we're going to get slaughtered. And David comes and he says a few things. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He's saying, I'll go fight. I know who I am. I went after him. Oh, I'm sorry. And then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and, and took a, lion, a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard <laughs> and struck him and killed him. See, that's why God believes in hunting. But anyways, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, 
for he has defied the armies of the living God. See, he was a shepherd boy. And when you're a shepherd, you're out in the mountains, you're out in the wilderness, grazing the sheep. Guess who's there? Nobody. Nobody's there. Guess what you get to hear? Silence. Guess who you get to know? Jesus, yourself. You know real quick what you're capable of and not capable of. You get to know real quick when it's pitch black at night and there's lions and bears and tigers, right? Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears, right? You get to know real quick who's got you. You begin to develop skills and abilities to protect, right? To battle. So you can see that David knew himself because he knew God and he had time to think about that. You also can see that as, 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 as Saul put, asked him to put on his armor, right? He says, I can't do this. I can't test it. Like, this doesn't fit me. Trying to put on someone else, right? The expectations of other people. Put, being someone else other than who David was. But David was confident in this, that he knew his God would be faithful to meet him every time. That he didn't need to be ashamed of his desire to take this Philistine out. That he didn't need to be ashamed in what God had showed him with the lion and with the bear. He did not need to be ashamed in his skills and his abilities and his likes and his dislikes and who he really is. Because God raised him and God showed him who he is. He did not to be, be ashamed. So you find David go out there and what does he do? He slays a giant. But what's most important in this story is that we find that David was true to himself. He was true to who God had created him to be. His confidence was in Christ. He also used his slingshot, right? His sling with his rocks. God wants you to use your sling. What what is your sling in life? What is it? It's what you're skilled at. It's what you're good at. What you love. What you like. What drives you. Your desires. Some of you, it's a it's a brush of a, of a paintbrush, you know. Some of you, it's creativity through graphics and art. Some of you, it's, it's your mouth. I mean, you're great at, like, just teaching and giving wisdom. It's your ears because they're very listening and very caring. It's your heart because it's compassionate. It's patient, right? It's your strategic thinking. We're able to plan and figure out and put in order and structure. To some of you, it's how to protect and figure out where it's going to go weak and fall apart. There's so much to this because the human is so diverse and all of us are different. What is your sling? Last but most important is God's love. Resting and soaking in and depending on God's love. Allowing yourself to be loved by God will help you journey in knowing the gift of self that Christ has made you to be. Here's one practical way and we'll be uh, talking about this until Jesus comes back. Again, stop. You must stop. You must stop. I think it's Isaiah 43. Yeah. You must stop. You must have silence. You, you have to be able to have stillness. You need to be able to be still and silence to hear God. Anybody ever be able to pay attention to two people at one time? Someone, two people talking to you at the same time. 
very hard. It's the same thing with God. Either you're going to talk or he's going to talk. Right? There's a time for you to talk. I'm not saying not talk to God. I'm saying, yeah, talk to him, tell him everything, all this stuff, but also just listen, hear, reflect. Take the scripture and meditate on it. Meditate on the scripture. Pay attention to it. Let it do something to you. Daydream about it. Let it wash over you over and over. And I'm going to give us a scripture just for now, uh, just to give you an example of what that's like. Chapter 43 in Isaiah. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who he formed, who he formed you, O Israel, fear not. So I read a few scriptures. Fear not stuck out in me. Does it stick out to you? doesn't have to, maybe. Why don't I just rest on just fear not? Let me just think for a moment. As I'm, as I'm silent, as I'm solitude, as I'm with God, I'm by myself, I'm just, man, fear not. Let it resonate. Let it do something. For I have redeemed you. Right? He bought me back from what I owed, which was my whole life because of my sin. I've called you by name. Maybe, maybe at this moment in my life, I need to be called. I need to be called by someone. Like, does someone want to get to know me? Someone want to love me? He calls me by name. He knows my name. He knows your name. He says, you are mine. I mean, I'm in the first verse. It would probably take me half an hour just to get through this part, or I don't even know how long. Not in studying it and figuring out the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the context. And just shut up and just let him talk. Sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. But I'm serious. I feel bad for saying that. But anyways. But just stop for a moment. called you by name. You are mine. There's so much here. My God, there's so much here. Just to let it just wash over you. Just let it take over you. Let it take your, your afternoon. Let it take your morning. Let it take your lunchtime. Jesus said Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We're starving today as a society. We're starving as a church. We're starving, and I'm talking church worldwide. We're starving as humankind because we're, we're not eating. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What waters are you going through? Let that just wash over you. That he'll be with me. He's with me. That's enough. There's much more. Let me go to this last one. Verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes. When you rest in the love of God. If I could have the worship team come up. If, when, you, when you rest in the love of God. God's love for you. You begin to know yourself and know God. Because guess what? It's okay to. It's okay. It's okay if you, if you find some stuff underneath that is unsettling some hurt, some pain, some patterns, some sin, right? 
It's okay if you find some of the things you really like and that really turn you on and that you're happy about, you're excited about, and you've put away for a long time and you want to do that again. You want to try that again. You want to be that again. Again, with responsibility and with care, you want to get others to give you some feedback to help you with that, right? All of that. You want to talk about some of that that you're discovering, not just keep it to yourself. We grow in community because you're loved. You can do that. Because it's not going to change your position. It's not going to change God's love for you. That if you discover a little bit that you like or don't like, good things and bad things that are underneath, you're still okay. Because you're resting in the gospel of love. Right? For you, to the degree that you will get to know yourself and be who God has fashioned you to be, to that degree, you will be who God wants you to be is to get to know. To the degree of allowing God to get to the inner part, opening your heart up to the degree of allowing yourself to be loved by God, because the more and more that you see God's love for you, the more reality you get. Because that's what real reality is. Reality is that God loves you. That's real reality. And when that reality sets in that you are loved by God, you become more like Him, you become more loving, you become more free. Because that's who we are. It says God is love. And this is love, not that you have loved me, right? But that God has loved you. That's what 1 John 4 says. Not that you love, but that He loved us. That's our identity. That's why it's so confusing because we're always trying to do something with it. We're always trying to earn it. We're always trying to make something happen with it. Just like everyone's told us to. It's hard to just sit and rest in that love. That comes through that meditating and resting and leaning back. Another word for belief is really rest. To believe is to rest. To that degree that you allow yourself to rest and believe in God's love. You're resting in the gospel of love, right? What if you're no longer able to perform? Christ performed for you on the cross. What if you were lost, all your possessions, you have great possessions, and that is that Christ loves you forever. What about your popularity? That if you've lost all your popularity, that doesn't matter because Christ knows who you are. God does not just love you. He also likes you. He's the only like that you need on your social media. <laughs> that was a bonus. He did that one, not me. <laughs> Today, as we sing and we take of the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you to get to know yourself and to get to know God. I want to invite you to stop and be still and silent. I want you to invite you to rest and relax in the love of God. I want to invite you to repent and turn from your, your identity being caught up in what you do, what you have, and your popularity. If that's you today, would you come to this God that is a God of love? Would you turn from all the opposing thoughts that come from our enemy that keep us from knowing that we're loved, keep us believing that we're loved, that want get to get in the way no matter what to keep us from this God who loves us? He just doesn't want to love you today. But I want you to know that he wants to love you and he also wants to take you somewhere. He wants to take you to his house and he wants to make a meal for you. And he wants to sit and eat with you and he wants to look in your eye and he wants to hold you so that way you'll be okay 
and you'll never ever feel unsafe again. You'll never feel anything else but His love. He did that how? He did that by sending His only begotten Son to die to, set, to keep what separated us from Him, and that is doing things our way, our sin. And He died for that, so that way He will come back for you, and He will take you to His home, and He will be with you forever. If you don't know Him, I'm asking you to open your heart. If you never even open to that concept, I'm asking you to open to that concept today. If you've been running from Him, I'm asking you to run to Him. If, uh, if, if you've been, been turning from Him your whole life, you've been re resisting in Him, resisting Him, resist no longer, surrender and rest. You've been working hard at this to keep away from Him. You've been believing the lies for a long time in your life that this is what you need to do to get to God. Well, I want you to know that God did everything for you to, give to get to Him. He gave His Son. Would you do that today as you take up of, of the Lord's Supper and come to Jesus? There'll be some of us, uh, some um, leaders that will be up here to pray with you. We'd love to know that you're, God's calling you to, to get to know Him by knowing yourself, that you're willing to dig deep beneath, that you didn't even realize that your feelings have something to do with it. You're going to acknowledge those feelings. You're going to deal with those things. Or maybe you're coming to Christ for the first time. Maybe you're coming back to Christ. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're concerned about something. Maybe you're worried about something. Maybe whatever it is, we're here for you. We want to pray with you. God bless you, church.